Catholic commentary. Spiritual warfare. Stay ready so you don't have to get ready. Jesus 911. Soul Patrol Jesus 911. One man car. They call a one man car a king car. My name is Jesse Romero. My partner Ruben Nava is out doing apostolic work with his family. And uh, as Catholics, you know, one of the things that that we've been fighting for a long time is uh, is militant atheism. To me, you know, to quote the words of Pope Benedict, he said, atheism has led to some of the greatest forms of cruelty and violations of justice known to mankind. I don't think anybody can argue with that. Atheism has been something that's been horrible for mankind. And that's what I want to talk about today. I want to talk about essentially, you know, this uh, this whole idea of atheism, because this is exactly the attack upon our children. We're seeing an infiltration of communism around the world, and especially here in our country. And one of the attacks from communism is atheism, especially militant atheism. That's what we seem to be seeing right now. Many countries are, for example, Russia for 70 years was a militant atheist country under Putin. Uh, he's rejected atheism. I'm not saying he's a saint, but uh, he's embraced Orthodox Russian, uh, Russian Orthodoxy, Russian Orthodox Christianity. In fact, if you take a look and, and do a little search, Putin has built more churches, more Russian Orthodox churches than any other country in the world. In other words, countries are, are closing down Christian churches, both Catholic and Protestant churches, and in Russia, they're building churches. It's the country where Christianity seems to be growing faster than any other place. And I'm saying that because in terms of the numbers of churches that are being built, and, and uh, in fact, you know, during the break, I'll take a look. I'll get some of the numbers for you, and we'll take a look at how many churches Putin has built. Uh, again, that's that's shocking. But here's one of the big arguments that's used against people of faith. I remember when I was a kid, you'll find in elementary school, in public elementary school, you'll find wall charts in in the classroom. It'll have... Neanderthal man, and it'll have this uh, this this evolution of men from the smallest all the way to present day man, Homo sapien. And you'll see, you know, this wall chart of Ramapithecus, Piltdown man, Nebraska man, Java man, <clears throat> you know, um, Homo erectus, Peking man, Homo habilis. Uh, and so, when you're a kid, you look at that and you said, "Wait a minute! I thought God made everybody." I thought he made Adam and Eve, and the whole human race came from Adam and Eve, and God made every single one of us. Well, this breeds confusion in the mind of young people. <clears throat> but the fact is, all of these depictions are frauds, all of them. And the scientific community should apologize to us, but they haven't. They just keep their mouth shut. But Neanderthal man, all these evolutionary cavemen 
Cavemen don't evolve into Homo sapiens. They don't. That's science. Neanderthal man was traditionally depicted as a bent-over ape man, but it's now accepted that the alleged posture was due to a disease and that Neanderthal man is just a variation of the human person. Human evolution is the legacy of the fossil evidence. Human evolution has many issues, including the realities of genetics, biochemistry, design theory, irreducible complexity, DNA structure, and information systems. However, the reality of the human fossil record alone is enough to reject the theory of human evolution altogether. Here are just a few of the problems, just a few of the major problems with the alleged fossil record of the past century. Major problems. Ramapithecus. This guy was widely recognized as a direct ancestor of humans. It's now established that he was merely an extinct type of orangutan. What about Piltdown Man? This guy was a hyped, a hyped up as the missing link in publications for over 40 years. He was a fraud based on a human skull cap with an orangutan's jaw put together. What about Nebraska Man? He was a fraud based on a single tooth of a rare type of pig. A single tooth. And they constructed an entire person called Nebraska Man out of plaster of Paris. What about Java Man? Java Man was based on sketchy evidence of a femur, a skull cap, and three teeth found within a wide area over a one-year period. It turns out the bones were found in an area of human remains, and now the femur is considered human in the skull cap from a large ape. <laughs> All of these things were just slammed together to make this, uh, this caveman called Java Man. That never existed. <clears throat> what about Neanderthal Man? Once again, I'm, as I mentioned, that was the first one I mentioned. <clears throat> it's, uh, he was traditionally depicted as a stooped ape man but it's now accepted that the alleged posture was due to disease and the and then that the Neanderthal is just a variation of the human person. That's all that was. So what about human evolution, the current tree as we know it today? Human evolution as it's as it, as it's currently as it's currently fashionable specimens that led from small ape-like creatures to Homo sapiens. Yep, human evolution has its currently fashionable specimens that led from small ape-like creatures to Homo sapiens. And again, these are examples of the most recent alleged links. You have Australopithecus or Lucy has been considered a missing link for years. However, studies of the inner ear, skulls, and bones have shown that Lucy was merely a pygmy chimpanzee that walked a bit more upright than some other apes. She was not on her way to becoming human. What about Homo erectus? Homo erectus has been found throughout the world. He's smaller than the average human of today. 
with a proportionally smaller head and brain cavity. However, the brain size is within the range of people today, and the studies of the middle of the middle ear have shown that he was just like current Homo sapiens. Remains are found throughout the world in which the same proximity to remains of ordinary humans, suggesting coexistence. Richard Leakey, son, son of Louis Leakey, said Lucy's skull was so incomplete that most of it was imagination made of plaster of Paris, like most of the other cavemen, thus making it impossible to draw any firm conclusion from what species she belonged to. Australopithecus is a distinctly ape-like creature. Australopithecus stands in strong contrast to modern Homo sapiens. Australopithecus, <clears throat> or Africanus, and Peking man were presented as ape men missing links for years, but now both are considered Homo erectus. Homo habilis is now generally considered to be comprised of pieces of various other types of creatures, such as Australopithecus and Homo erectus, and it is now generally viewed as a valid classification. So what's the point that I'm making here? Now we know that human evolution, the theory has no support in the fossil record. Human evolution is a theory in denial, and with all of this fossil evidence or lack thereof, it becomes increasingly clear to any earnest seeker that human evolution did not happen at all. And for those of us, or, or for those who say that we came from monkeys, well, here's the way I would respond. How can a mechanistic animal brain become a self-reflective human mind? We know that all animals have brains and a central nervous system. Even the, low, the lowest forms of life have brains and central nervous systems. The question that atheists have never answered is this. Can an animal brain evolve into something so complex as the human mind, such as the mind of a Michelangelo, a Shakespeare, a Beethoven, or a Bach? Come on. Animals do not create art. Animals do not appreciate beauty. They will never create classical music. They will never write a computer algorithm. And they do not meditate on the meaning and purpose of life. A human brain is so vastly complex and can do amazing things that animals can never do, such as reason. Why? Because the human person has a rational soul. Animals don't have a rational soul. That's what makes us different from the animals as humans. I'm going to talk next about the Founding Fathers. Do you think that our Founding Fathers, did they embrace atheism? Would you say that atheism in America at its core, do you say America at its core is atheist? Well, let's take a look at the evidence. Jesus 911 will be right back. Now, back to Jesus 911. 
If this call is not an emergency, dial 888-526-2151. Soul Patrol, Jesus 911. My name is Jesse Romero. Did the founding fathers embrace atheism? As, and is America atheist at its core? Absolutely not. Our American currency says everything one needs to know about this country. It's, it was put in our coins in 1864 in God We Trust. And it was put in our paper money in 1957 in God We Trust. This reference to in God We Trust is the reference to the Judeo-Christian revelation of God. Our money does not say in Darwinian evolution we trust. We're not an atheist country. In fact, the Constitution mentions our Lord in Article 7. The Declaration of Independence mentions God four times. And the Gettysburg Address mentions God once. Our Battle Hymn of the Republic, written in 1861, also mentions God several times. Let me share with you a little joke. Uh, to just kind of bring some levity into the conversation. So there was an atheist. He was seated next to a, a little girl on an airplane. And he turned to her and said, Do you want to talk? Flights go quicker if you strike up a conversation with a fellow passenger. The little girl who had just started to read her book replied to the total stranger, What would you want to talk about? Oh, I don't know, said the atheist. How about why there's no God? or no heaven or hell, or no life after death, as he smiled smugly. Okay, she said, those could be interesting topics, but let me ask you a question first. A horse, a cow, and a deer all eat the same stuff, grass. Yet a deer excretes little pellets, while a cow turns out a flat patty. But a horse produces clumps. Why do you suppose that is? The atheist, visibly surprised by the little girl's intelligence, thinks about it and says, Hmm, I have no idea. To which the little girl replies, Do you really feel qualified to, dis to discuss God, heaven and hell, or life after death, when you don't know about, when you don't know about poop? <laughs> and then she went back to reading her book. Conversation over. Let me give you a, a little juxtaposition between the God that we believe in, revealed from sacred scripture, the Old and New Testament, the Judeo-Christian understanding of God, and then I'm going to I'm going to juxtapose what the atheists would call the God of evolution, lowercase g. Of course, they don't believe in a personal God. So there's about 13 points of distinction that I want to make. So the God that Catholics believe in, the God of Catholic Christianity, number one, the God of Christianity created all things in the beginning by his divine power, Genesis chapter one. The God of evolution <laughs> produced an explosion of gas 15 billion years ago. Number two, the one true God spoke and they were made. He commanded and everything was created. Psalm 33 verse 9. Evolution says that they allowed the natural processes to produce the first cell, which evolved into every kind of plant and animal over billions of years. 
the God of creation, who designed each kind of creature perfectly for its role in the economy of nature according to distinct divine ideas. Evolution says that uh, it was uh, evolution has allowed random genetic mutations and natural selection to transform one kind of organism into another. The one true God of creation made a perfectly harmonious universe for man, free from deformity, disease, and negative mutations. Evolution teaches that they, uh, evolution filled the earth with death, deformity, and disease long before the creation of mankind. Number five, the God of creation formed Adam and Eve, body and soul as a special creation created in his own image and likeness as a son of God, as a daughter of God. Evolution teaches that the conceived body of Adam and Eve in the womb of an evolved chimpanzee. In other words, they are sons and daughters of chimpanzees. Number six. The one true God created Eve from, sleep, from, from sleeping Adam's side as a foreshadowing of the birth of the church from the wounded side of Christ. <clears throat> evolution believes that, that evolution formed the body of Eve from Adam's zygote as his twin in the womb of evolved chimpanzee. Seven. We believe that God placed Adam and Eve over all creatures as kings and queens of a perfectly harmonious world. Evolutionists believe that evolution, as a result of evolution, the evolved evolved the bodies of the first human beings in a world full of death, violence, deformity, and disease. Number eight, we believe that God created new kinds of creatures after, creation, after the creation of Adam and Eve, then rested in his perfect, harmonious creation. Evolutionists believe to this day that there's a continuous process of evolution Extinction that began millions of years before the evolution of Adam. Number nine, we believe that God, who in his perfect justice and mercy, placed the whole universe in bondage to decay as a result of Adam's sin. Evolutionists believe that evolution allowed the world to continue its evolutionary development to include transhumanism in the wake of Adam's sin. 10. We believe that God allowed Adam's nearly genetically perfect offspring to intermarry. Number 10. Evolution believes that evolution allowed Adam's sons and daughters to breed with subhuman primates to continue the human race. Number 11. God told Noah to build an ark as a type of the Catholic Church and brought judgment upon the world with a universal flood. Number 11. Evolution told Noah to build an ark for his family and some animals to avoid a local flood. That's the evolutionist account of, of, the, of the flood. Number 12. God endowed Adam and Eve with speech in the beginning and created the various families of languages at the Tower of Babel. So that's the Christian worldview. Is that God endowed Adam and Eve with speech in the beginning and created the various families of languages at the Tower of Babel. Evolutionists believe that evolution allowed the different kinds of languages on earth to evolve from inarticulate speech over millions of years. 
13, we believe as, as people, uh, men of faith, women of faith, that God revealed the truthful account of his created work to Moses, who will restore, who will restore all things in Christ, restoring the harmony of the first created world and bringing it to perfection in him. Evolutionists believe that God, that, that's, I mean, the evolution allowed Hebrew scribes to fashion a creation story using pagan myths who will continue to allow death, mutation, and natural selection to bring evolution to its ultimate end. Hmm. Yep. I want to talk about now, <clears throat> I want to say just a, a brief prayer for the conversion of atheists and communists at the very end. <clears throat> and I want to talk about how would I respond to an atheist or skeptic? How would I do it? I personally, Jess Romero. When I talk to an atheist or an agnostic, they or they send me an email challenging my my faith in God. First of all, I tell them, I said, God loves you so much that he's going to respect your right to be wrong. He will still love you unconditionally, even though you're a prodigal son or a prodigal daughter at this point. And God will keep calling you to himself gently and lovingly for the rest of your life. I also respect your freedom to think and choose, however, based on science, history, logic, and reason. I am compelled to follow my Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, who is a relentless lover of our souls. I have not come to the conclusions that I have embraced without a lot of reading, studying, and praying myself. My well-thought-out convictions were not born overnight. I have wrestled with the same demons that you have, but I continue to press forward and discover well-reasoned answers to my youthful questions. I commend you young people that are at least reading and grappling with these important questions. Continue to do so and the Lord will bless your efforts and he will bless your commitment to pursue the truth. But as for me, the older I get, the more the Holy Bible makes sense to me. Make no mistake, there's still much I don't understand and never will. I have a finite mind. But the basic message of the Bible I get, there's a consistent theme to the scriptures, and that is God's relationship with man and man's relationship with God. Now, you may not believe the message of the Bible, but if you study it some, you can at least understand what the basic, what the basic point is. Even though it was written by many people over thousands of years, as someone who has been studying the Bible for close to 30 years, and I hold an MA in Biblical Theology, graduated summa cum laude, highest academic analyst from Steubenville, Ohio, here is how, would I, here is how I would condense the Biblical narrative of the Bible. So that's what I'm going to talk about next. How I would, sh how I as a Catholic, Roman Catholic Christian, how, how I would condense 
the biblical narrative of the, of the Bible for somebody who's a, who's a true seeker, who's really asking serious questions. You know, there's some people that just want to argue. They're not looking for the truth. There are three type of people. I consider myself in category number one. Those that are looking for the truth and have found the truth. The truth is Jesus Christ and his church. Doesn't mean I understand it or follow it perfectly. But I embrace the truth. That's Jesus Christ and his church. You have a second category of people. They're seekers of truth. They have not yet found the truth. Somebody like, for example, like Dennis Prager, like uh, Ben Shapiro. Seekers of truth, but they have not, and they're in the right, they're tracking in the right direction. They're men of goodwill, but they haven't found the fullness of truth, which is Jesus Christ, the Messiah. Then you've got a third category of people. They're not looking for the truth. They don't care if there's truth. Truth for them is irrelevant. They don't want to find the truth. Which one are you? Up next, I'm going to talk to you about how I condense the Bible to an atheist or a non-believer or a seeker of truth. Now, back to Jesus 911. If this call is not an emergency, dial 888-526-2151. Soul Patrol, Jesus 911, Lord, come to my assistance. Lord, make haste to help me. Psalm 69, verse 2. That's the motto of this show. That's the Bible verse that really encapsulates this show. Lord, come to my assistance. Lord, make haste to help me. Psalm 69, verse 2. That's what it means, Jesus 911. That's the verse that, that basically gave the show its title. So how do I condense the Bible to a non-believer? Here's what I would tell a non-believer. I'd tell him, look at There is and has always been God. The idea of eternity or infinity cannot be fully comprehended by the human mind. I get that. God is the one and the only one supreme being who created everything that exists in the, in the heavens and on the earth. And by heavens, I mean the universe and other galaxies. God is referred to in the Bible as the Heavenly Father. He is everywhere all the time. He knows all and ultimately is in control of all. The Bible says that God is spirit. I don't know what a spirit is or what a spirit looks like, except that, we, that a spirit is a supernatural being that humans can't see. God created man and women in the form that we are today. We did not evolve from pond slime to apes and then from apes to man. The complexities of the human body alone are just too many to believe that we are the result of random chance. A fundamental law of science is that life cannot develop from non-life. God made men and women with free will. He placed them in the Garden of Eden and told them to enjoy life. He gave them one thing that he did not want he gave them one thing that he did not want them to do and that was to eat the fruit from the tree of knowledge of good and evil. What is evil? Evil is a privation of good. <clears throat> we know evil when we see it or when we experience it. The American Heritage Dictionary defines evil as quote 
something that is morally wrong, wicked. When men and women willfully disobeyed God, this was called sin. Let me repeat that again. This is important. When men and women willfully disobeyed God, this was called sin. This is what is known as the original sin. And the Christian teaching is that this contaminated the nature of man. And this contamination has been passed down throughout the ages. And no human being is exempt from it. This contamination, again, called sin, separates man and woman from God because he wants nothing to do with sin. The spiritual agent for evil in the world is a being called Satan. This is a biblical term, like God, Satan is a spirit. The Bible implies that, that before Satan was Satan, he was an angel but rebelled against his maker and so God expelled him from heaven. Satan has a limited amount of power well, God's power is unlimited. The two war for the souls of humans. God chose the Hebrews as the people he, he would write history through. Thus, they would become known as God's chosen people. That stories in the Old Testament, beginning with Abraham, who was the father of Jacob, who was the father, uh, and who, who, excuse me, Abraham was the father of Isaac who was the father of Jacob, and so on. These people today are known as the Jews. Then we move to the New Testament, which is where the expansion of God's relationship to man moves from exclusivity with the Jews to include all people universally. God's message for mankind was brought by His Son, Jesus, according to... According... He was... He was that's precisely why God sent His Son into the world. And God's message of mercy and love and forgiveness, God's message for mankind was brought by His Son, Jesus Christ, who was sent to earth to accomplish two things. One was to demonstrate and teach us how to live according to the Father's will, which is love for God and love for our fellow man, the, the greatest commandments. This was the mission of the Son of God that he lived out perfectly. The second reason God sent his son to earth was to pay the penalty for the sins of the world. God requires a price to be paid for sin before he will forgive that sin and restore us into a right relationship with him. This is what Jesus did on the cross. He took the sins of the world on himself and taught all who believe, obey, and trust in him would be forgiven and restored as sons and daughters. Jesus Christ paid a debt that he didn't owe because we owe a debt that he, he can't pay. Jesus established the Catholic Church as his bride here on earth. And the Catholic Church is equipped with everything necessary for us to live the Christian life with faith, hope, and love. Finally, there's a promise of life after death in a place called heaven for those who repent, believe, and obey. This is the belief system of the Bible in less than 1,500 words. I hope you study this seriously, and if you do, Jesus Christ will change your life forever. Like he did mine at the age of 26. Jesus' historical existence is beyond dispute, by the way. In fact, when I was a young man, I looked at 
Britannic Encyclopedia, probably about 30 years ago, which, again, is one of the most respected sources in the world of academia. It commits over 20,000 words to the person of Jesus Christ. And it says, with respect to his historicity, that it wasn't until the end of the 18th century that it was disputed for the first time, and that on inadequate grounds. In addition to the biblical data, such distinguished Roman and Jewish historians as Josephus, Tacitus, Secundus, and a host of others mentioned that Jesus was a real person who lived during the first century. And so the idea put forth by some that Christ is a myth is itself a myth. Jesus says that he's the way, the truth, and the life. No man goes to the Father but through him. John 14, verse 6. This statement is either, think about it, here are the only options. When Jesus Christ says he's the way, the truth, and the life, nobody goes to the Father but through him. That statement is either true, and if it's true, we must follow him. Or number two, that statement is false, and he's a pathological liar. Or number three, that statement is false, and he's a raving lunatic. You must decide which one to pick. When you look at a picture, an image of Jesus Christ, a crucifix, everybody has to ask themselves and answer the question, is he God or is he a liar? It's that simple. Where you end up in eternity is going to depend on how you answer that question. Is Jesus Christ God or is he a liar? When I gave you that trilemma, number one, Jesus says, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. Nobody comes to the Father but through me. If that's true, we've got to follow him. If it's false, then he's a liar. And if it's false, he's a lunatic. So you must decide which one to pick. Is it one, or is it two, or is it three? Is he the Lord of human history? Is he a liar or a lunatic? They are all a leap of faith because we weren't there. I've already decided 35 years ago. He's the Lord of the universe and the Lord of my life. And he's the Lord God Almighty who will come back to judge the living and the dead. Lastly, if you, if and when I die, and I'll just throw out Pascal's wager here, if and when I die and I discover that there is no God, and that the atheists were right. Guess what? I'll never know that you were right because I will just evaporate and cease to exist. But if you die, and there is a God, you will know that I was right for all eternity. Think about that. Think about that. So, as you chew on that for a bit, how do we begin a relationship with God? The answer is by faith. However, it's just not intellectual. It's an act of the will. We need to humble ourselves and, and then ask, and it, will be, and it will be given to you. Seeking you will find, knock, and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks, receives, 
And he who seeks finds, and to him who knocks, it will be opened. We need to remember that God ultimately gives us the grace to even ask for faith. The fact that you're even asking these questions shows God is working in your life. The Bible says in Ephesians 2.18, For by grace you have been saved through faith. This is not your own doing, it is the gift of God. Close quote. We need only to ask with an open heart. The more we ask, the more we will receive. We become better at believing by actively believing, just as we become better at running by running, better at cooking by cooking, better at listening by listening. God helps us too by constantly dropping hints. Sometimes we effortlessly turn to God when we are incredibly happy or awed by nature or even when we are terrified, terribly frightened, sad or lonely. When we find ourselves in the valley of the shadow of death and we sigh with relief because we exercise faith and recognize that God is there besides us. That's not to say that knowing God well is a prerequisite for faith or that we must first understand God. Since we are a human with a finite mind, we are incapable of understanding God fully because He's infinite. Since we cannot understand the infinite, there's no viable route in which we can reason our way to faith by our own intellectual processes. No matter how smart we are, at some point, we have to let go of our pride and accept God by faith. Jesus 911, I'll continue talking about how do we begin a relationship with God. Stick around. Now, back to Jesus 911. If this call is not an emergency, dial 888-526-2151. Pray, hope, and don't worry. Worry is useless. God is merciful and will hear your prayer. St. Padre Pio. So how do we start a relationship with God? Remember, in order to lose weight, we don't necessarily have to under, understand the relationship between caloric intake and metabolic rate. We don't have to even believe that the diet program we're following will work. We can profess just the opposite. It doesn't matter. So long as we follow the diet program, we're going to lose weight. That's how it is with faith. Even if we say to God, I don't believe in you and I refuse to pray, that conversation with, with God is the beginning of prayer. You're taking baby steps, but at least you've begun. An Israelite at the time of Christ, when the son who was possessed, prayed to our Lord by saying in Mark 9.24, I believe, help my unbelief, close quote. Like a tiny seed that falls in a, side, in a sidewalk crack, faith takes root and grows. The seed needs soil, moisture, and light, but but needs not a lot of them. Faith is the same. Our day-to-day life is, is, is the soil to which is added moisture, humility, and light, grace. But what makes our faith grow? God. Science can tell us how to promote growth within plants as the churches, theologians, and saints tell us how to grow in faith. 
Faith is not a light switch that can be turned on and off. Faith is more like a dimming light switch that we're in control of. We're free to grow in God's brightness or we can say no and shut out God's light. Remember in 1 John 1, 5, the Bible says God is light and in Him is no darkness at all, close quote. But at the same time, God wants us to shine. Matthew 5, 14. You are the light of the world. Let your light shine so that men... Let your light shine before men so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. Close quote. To brighten our lights as God intended, we need to put our faith into action. In the beginning of our faith journey, we might not put much stock in our prayers and say them half-heartedly. We may perform acts of kindness but claim it's simply a humanitarian deed and not religious. In Colossians 3.23, the Bible says, Whatever you do, do from the heart, as for the Lord and not for others. Knowing that you will receive from the Lord the due payment of the inheritance, be slaves of the Lord Christ. Step by step, prayer by prayer, deed by deed, we begin to put more heart, more of ourselves into the effort. Gradually we are converted in the true sense of the word, though it takes a lifetime. We turn towards God, but that doesn't mean we turn away from the world. Whether, whether we become better at seeing God in the world and seeing the world as God sees it, in need of healing and salvation. We get better at seeing God in other human beings and, and understanding the mystery hidden for ages and generations, but, how, but now made manifest to his saints, which is what? Which is Christ in you. Colossians 1.26 Paradoxically, the more faith we have, the more we want. It's understandable. James one twenty one, James chapter one verse two. It says, "Consider it all joy, my brothers, when you encounter various trials, for you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. And let perseverance be perfect, so that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing." In John chapter fifteen verse four and five, the Bible says, "Remain in me, as I remain in you." Just as a branch cannot bear fruit on its own unless it remains on the vine, so neither can you unless you remain in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever remains in me and I in him will bear much fruit, because without me you can do nothing. But at the same time, we have confidence that God will give us the strength to live out that faith every day. Absolutely. In Philippians chapter 1, verse 6, Here's an incredible promise from the Lord. I am confident of this, that the one who began a good work in you will continue to complete it until the day of Christ Jesus. Let me read that again. What a promise from sacred scripture. It says, I am confident, St. Paul writes, that the one, that's God, who began a good work in you, will continue to complete it until the day of Christ Jesus. Hold on to that promise. Hold on to that verse. The Bible says that God began a good work in you. That began at baptism. And He's going to complete that good work until He sees you get to heaven. Please God. However, by knowing our weaknesses, we come to rely more and more on God's grace. 
In 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 9, the Bible says, St. Paul writes, But he said to me, My grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. I will all the more gladly boast of my weaknesses, that the power of Christ may rest upon me. Amen. Remember, atheists have souls, and they are as dear to God as your own soul. Jesus Christ died on Calvary and shed his blood in atonement for the sins of the world, not just for the sins of Christians, and this includes atheists. Just as Jesus gave everything for us and held nothing back, will you be generous enough to pray for the conversion of one atheist soul today? If enough prayers are offered to God, atheism and communism may be eliminated from this world one day. Atheism and communism is plain godlessness, and most, most atheists or communists will not ask the Lord for the grace of conversion. This is a job of every Christian to pray and ask God on their behalf for the, for the grace of conversion. Our Lady of Fatima asks us to pray the rosary every day in order to obtain peace for the world and the end of the world. Let me offer a prayer for the conversion of atheists and communists. I feel so moved to do so right now. In the name of the Father, Son, and of the Holy Spirit, Amen. O crucified Redeemer, O merciful Savior, have compassion upon the atheists and communists who hate thee and thy church. On Calvary thou didst pray for thy enemies, persecutors, and calumniators. Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. And in thy mercy and love, you did convert the dying thief on the cross. Grant we beseech thee mercy and grace to thine enemies today, who sit in darkness and in the shadow of death, and direct their feet into the way of peace. Remove from their hearts malice and hatred and teach them how, to, how sweet it is to know, love, and serve Thee. O Mary, Mother of Sorrows, O Holy Martyrs of Russia, Martyrs of China, Japan, Vietnam, Cuba, Venezuela, Spain, and Mexico, pray for the conversion of atheists and the communists. Come, Holy Spirit. Come by means of the powerful intercession of the Immaculate Heart of Mary, your most well-beloved spouse. Amen. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. As Remember, when we talk about redemption, we're talking about the action of Calvary, what Christ did on Calvary. When He spilled His blood for us, He ob objectively redeemed the world. So, what is it that atheists believe about human beings? Atheists, I guess they want us to believe that we're just, uh, we're just a collection of cells and molecules that coincidentally came together from some primordial soup up in the sky somewhere, that we're just a bunch of atoms ruled by deterministic scientific law. They think that we're just, a, uh, just this quivering mass of unfulfilled protoplasm. But it takes more faith to believe in this nonsense, this molecules-to-man nonsense, fairy tale, than it takes to believe in a supernatural being called God who created us. An atheist wrote to me once and said that religion and faith 
are just are just caused by a chemical process in the brain. My response is, there must be a principal operation behind every activity. In man, there must be a principle which thinks and wills. The principle cannot be mere chemical, otherwise doctors and scientists would be able to discover it. Yet it is something, a spiritual soul, which is beyond the reach of chemical analysis. A material principle could not have spiritual operations. Man's soul has spiritual operations, therefore it cannot be only material. And how do we know we have a soul? The Bible tells us in Genesis chapter 2, verse 7, it says the soul is the principle of human life. The fact that you're breathing demonstrates you have a soul. When you go to a funeral, the body in the coffin is known as a cadaver because the soul is separated or departed from the body. And that body will decompose. The soul is what animates and gives life to the body. I end with this. What are some examples of the spiritual operations of the soul? They are, number one, the formulation of an idea. Number two, to think. Number three, to reflect. Number four, to imagine. Number five, to deduce abstract thoughts and universal concepts. And the word anima, by the way, it means soul in Latin. This is where we get the English word animate, animate. That's, and that's the name of the prayer, anima Christi. Anima Christi. By the way, there is no conflict between science and religion because all truth comes from God. Scientific truth and religious truth come from the same source, God. You know, Faith and reason are like the two wings of the bird. This is the way Pope John Paul II used to describe it. Faith and reason are like the two wings of a bird. Both are needed to fly straight. They complement each other. Pope John Paul II also said, Science can purify religion from error and superstition. Religion can purify science from idolatry and false absolutes. Each can draw the other into a wider world, a world in which both can flourish. That's a wrap, Jesus 911. My name is Jesse Romero. Up next, you'll hear more from Gary Machuda, Hands on Apologetics, coming to you from the Midwest Command Center. As for me, I am EOW, end of watch. I'm 10 7. I'm out. Don't forget, pray hope and don't worry. Worry is useless. God is merciful. We'll hear your prayer. 